What is up, you guys? And welcome back to another episode of Illuminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And today we are talking about GameStop. Was I supposed to say that at the same time as you? I don't know. You looked at me like expectantly. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We are talking about all the stuff that has gone on with the GameStop stock, the R Wall Street bets, the diamond hands, the buy apes. and hold, the apes, all of that stuff. All of this rigmarole that has gone on in the stock market as it relates to GME. Uh, and that's basically it. So, yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> yep. So, uh, before we get into that, as always, let's talk about some beer. So, Jake, what are you drinking? I do happen to have a, it's a double rainbow, uh, which is an interesting beer that I've never seen before. Um, the can is pretty awesome. It's a Cadillac key on a keychain with two rainbows, hence the double rainbow. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you don't know the double rainbow, it's like the best day of your life. You see the double rainbow is from that YouTube video. So this is from Divine Barrel Brewing, and we're back on our uh, Charlotte shit again. We're <laughs> yeah, down always there. on that Charlotte shit. We're down there quite often. And uh, what I like about this is it's just a very weird, it's not quite juiciness juicy, but there is definitely some juicy there. And it's a um, Imperial Berliner Weiss, which I have never seen an Imperial one of these before. And that's what made me grab it because usually... Berliners are pretty like 3% alcohol and they're mostly just juicy. Sure. Um, and I didn't know, so I had to look it up. So a Berliner Weiss apparently is a low alcohol tart sour wheat beer uh, that they've been producing back since the 16th century in northern Germany, hence Berlin, often served with a flavored syrup of woodruff or raspberries. The uh, tartness comes from the lactic bacteria and traditional Brentanomites yeast strain. I don't know what the Brentanomyces yeast strain is, but I know what lactic bacteria is. And uh, this one is described as a Imperial Berliner Weiss style ale brewed with mango, passion fruit, pink guava, peach, and lactose. So it's not, this isn't a sour at all. It does definitely have the roots of a wheat beer to it. But it is very, very citrusy and juicy. It's like I feel like I'm getting a canker sore just drinking this down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you say what the ABV was? I did not. It, oh, okay. I believe it is coming in at a solid eight percent. Dang. Because I was gonna say if the normal Berliners are like three or four, yeah. what is an Imperial like? An eight. That's like a solid heavy Double. IPA range. Yeah, it is, and it does have very much like a. West Coast citrus IPA to it, but it doesn't have the hazy thickness of the IPA. This is almost like a tang consistency. Okay. Um, yeah, I can see it in your glass, and I'm like, that yeah. looks kind of like orange tang. It, you know what? It's very much. It's very much like guava juice. It's like if you have a cup of guava juice, you know, or like passion fruit juice. Yeah, same. Yeah, kind of yeah. looks like that. In my brain, those are the same things. Are they the same? I doubt it. I mean, I'm sure I don't know. <laughs> they have different names, right? Like, so yeah. they're probably different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's delicious. I, I don't, I feel like after one of these, I probably wouldn't be able to drink a second just because I feel like this is going to wreck my taste buds because it's just like, it's like drinking pineapple juice shots or something. Yeah. Um, no, I feel you. It does. You know what? It, it does have definitely have like the consistency of one of those custom shots you get at a bar in Fort Lauderdale where it's just this like super juicy, sweet, sick mixture with some sort of like schnapps cocktail or something. Yeah. It kind of has that consistency to it a little bit. Yeah. But not in a bad way. Okay. So uh, what do you got over there? I'm seeing rainbows also. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. We just accidentally jumped on this rainbow train today, but I also... I'm back in Charlotte, and I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing about this brewery <laughs> at this point, and I'm sorry, but every time they come out with something new, I got to go find it. <laughs> so I am back at Sycamore, and today I have Skittles. 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 I think it's just supposed to be Skittles, but it has Zs instead, so it's Z-K-I-T-T-L-E-Z. Skittles. Skittles. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this is a hazy 
IPA. And uh, the can is a white can. This time it has a stick-on label. I think most of the other beers I've gotten from them yeah. have been a printed can. Yeah. And this is like a stick-on label instead. I think it's a limited, it seems like a limited edition thing they're doing. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, but it's a white can. It has a sky blue label on it with a rainbow uh, maple leaf. And then it has a bunch of little like cartoon hops with cartoon rainbows and little clouds and stuff all over it. <laughs> it's it's pretty- very, uh, not rainbow bright, but the, the Care Bears. Yeah, uh, yeah, Care yeah. Bears. It is. It's extremely Care Bears. That's funny. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, but what this one says is this IPA is hazed and infused with drippy fruit forward hops, notes and aromas of juicy peach, vivid pineapple and sweet orange taste this dank rainbow. Nice. And then on the bottom, it says life ain't all beer and Skittles, <laughs> but just in case. So yeah, nice. kind of, a, you know, typical sycamore type stuff. Uh, but again, this is a pint like they usually do. It's 7.3% ABV. And um, I mean, I like it. I don't think it is as Skittlesy as they yeah. try to kind of say that it is. Because with only peach, pineapple, and orange, right? it comes off very traditional hazy. Yeah, it's it's a very. I had a few the other night. Uh, I got a four pack from Harris Teeter, and I had a couple, and it was just very much like a solid West Coast citrus IPA that I enjoyed very much. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I mean, I don't fee find it as citrusy as I think I want it to be. It's a yeah. little more like fruit juice, yes. but not like yeah. citrus fruit juice. Yeah, like. Pineapple juice mixed with peach juice. <laughs> I would love to see like an actual taste the rainbow kind of experience in this beer where it's, yeah, you know, blueberries and oranges and, and just so lemon yeah. and strawberry. And, and even though it would just come out brown, 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 <laughs> it would just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously you mix all these colors together, it's just going to come out something rank and, and horrible you know. looking. Yeah. yeah, but it it might taste good. I don't know. I like yeah. fruit punch. Yeah. Who doesn't like fruit punch? I actually don't like fruit punch. God damn it, John. <laughs> Red is the worst flavor of Gatorade. Red. I That's well, I would agree punch. with that. I don't like that kind of fruit punch. I like yeah. the like the like, cardboard like box. Rum punch. Nice fruit punch. Okay. Rum punch? Yeah. Like you take fruit punch, you put rum in it. Oh well, yeah, rum. of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's good. It just tastes more like juice. Like yeah, you would both, get out of a plastic bottle in the store as opposed to like a Skittles level yeah. multiple kinds of different flavors and I don't find it that citrusy. I I definitely find it very West Coasty and I'm not a big West, West Coast fan. Yeah. When it well West Coast fan when it comes to IPAs. Yeah. And uh, I just wish it was a little more Skittlesy. I don't know. Like they, yeah, they built it up with the whole Skittles theme. But it was a brand. They did like a branding for it, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I mean, is it good? Yeah, it's just one of those ones where I'm like, this isn't a Skittlesy as I was yeah. kind of because even the can with the rainbow has the like red, orange, yellow, you know. It basically has the Roy G. Biv on here. And right. I'm like, well, there's orange and there's yellow. Right. But there's no r. They could have called it like Biv Citrus Monkey, and had pictures of like monkeys beating up, you know, guava and and passion fruit. Yeah, or if they had said that it was a little more like a, like a tropical hazy, right? That would have made more sense to me than Skittles. Who I does guess. that tropical hazy? There's one out there. I think it's uh, this is like Tropical Torpedo. Tropical Torpedo. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That's a pretty solid beer. Yeah. There's a bunch of tropical IPAs yeah. out there that I really liked. I drank them a lot last summer. The Delicious IPA by Stone, okay, uh, is an amazing beer. When I lived in LA, that was it was on tap everywhere. And it's a it's a very good. It's a solid. It's like seven point seven percent citrusy, yeah. very citrusy IPA. Okay, but I have been told and I need to Google this and check it for sure because uh, several people told to me is that it's essentially gluten free. If you don't have celiacs and you only have a slight gluten intolerancy, you can apparently drink stone delicious because it's made. 
I believe, without some sort of barley or something. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, people with celiacs don't run out and buy it and drink it on my word. Like, definitely sure. Google that first. Stick but, with something like Omission. Right, which Omission is amazing. Yeah. It's the it's probably the best gluten-free beer I've ever come across. I had their um, stout, and it was really cool. It yeah. was great. Also, um, Corona is pretty much, from what I understand, gluten-free. Really? Yeah. That's so, shocking. Yeah. So I've heard that a few times, like a handful of times. And I've seen people who are 100% gluten-free drinking Corona. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently there's a handful of like those style beers out on the market that are gluten-free and they don't really advertise themselves that way. Interesting. Yeah. They may just not be like certified gluten-free or officially yeah. gluten-free, but they're a, more essentially more or less gluten-free. I don't think that counts, which is probably why it they usually doesn't. It. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't think you could get certified gluten-free in a brewery just because there's all the other beers that you make, you know, cause you think about Corona. I mean, what are they? Anheuser-Busch nowadays? Probably. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So there's probably Budweiser, Bud Light, all that other stuff going through the same factory. So it's well, I want to say Corona is still brewed in Mexico. Is it really? Yeah, because when you fly into the Cancun airport, literally every single thing is branded as Corona. Do they just still says Corona? It's like imported through New Jersey. Uh, They are owned by Anheuser Busch, but they are still produced in Cerveceria Modelo uh, in Mexico. But they are owned by Anheuser Busch. Okay. Anheuser Busch a couple of years ago went around and bought basically every small beer company on the planet. Yeah. And even things down to like, uh, what was it? Um, not Sam Adams, like even smaller than that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. I'm blanking out. There's some other local beer, I think from around here that I remember. It was like a small brewery and they got bought by, by Anheuser Busch. Yeah, and everybody was like, "Y'all sold out," and then the brewers came out and they're like, "No, I mean, they made us a really good deal, and it was a great financial decision because now we have the money to expand the brewery when we didn't before." Right. Uh, apparently, it was Wicked Weed. That uh, yes, yeah, it was Wicked Weed. Yeah, and so it looks like they were purchased but allowed to run independently, mm-hmm. which is a fairly common thing that that happens a good amount. Major companies come in, they see that something is successful. Yeah. They purchase it, they bring it under their wing and they, you know, revise stuff and meet profit margins and all that blah blah blah. That probably yeah. is hell for the people that own it. They do it that before. business dad shit. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, the they keep on and I mean Wicked Weed is still out here making great beer. Yeah, Captain Dank. I haven't had it yet. I've I haven't even Captain seen it. Captain Dank, yeah. I've been looking for I it. I haven't seen it either. I've had Lieutenant Dank several times. Oh, uh, we were just drinking it the other yeah. week on Shed Time, on which shed. if you guys have not heard of Shed Time, Jake and I were on a cross pod, our very first cross pod on the Shed Time podcast, which we is were. a couple old vape friends of mine. I used to own a vape. Very cool guys. Liquid manufacturing company. And these dudes have gone off and do this very like weed culture, counter culture, yeah. vape they're awesome. show. And they're just a bunch of really goofy, weird, funny. It was a lot of fun. Dudes. It was such a blast. I messaged them after. I was like, guys, this was <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Um, but we go on their show. They essentially we they talk about weed stuff and vape stuff for the first probably twenty minutes or so. Yeah, and then after that, they essentially interview us. We talk all about our show. Yeah. We talk a little bit about the back end of the like. They ask us a bunch of questions about how we do the show and like what yeah. our process is and stuff like that. The nuts and, and bolts. Then Jake talks about a really cool weed conspiracy theory. Yeah. So I broke down how basically weed built the pyramids. Yeah. And how uh, Egyptians were very tuned in for the tuned in to the healing effects of cannabis and what it did for people who were doing things like hard labor all, all day uh, and how they treated diseases and basically how Egyptians passed down the idea of being able to treat basic maladies like eye problems and inflammation and sore joints by making solves and ointments and compounds out of cannabis essentially. Yeah. And at the base of the pyramid, they found that there was some evidence that well, they... Well, let's not give away too much. Let's make our listeners head on <laughs> over there. You can check that episode out. If you're into the weed counterculture stuff, you can keep listening to them. They're really cool dudes. But yeah, you can hear Jake and I talk to them about stuff. We just don't want to give away too much so that you do have right. to go listen. But we'll throw a link to that episode in the show notes for this episode. Perfect. Anyway... 
let's get to this GameStop conspiracy. Definitely. Jake, I kind of know some about it. We've talked a little bit about it on this show already, but not a lot. It's like kind of hot, but it's kind of cooling down. We don't really know what's going to happen. Stock price was low. Now it's back in the middle. Yeah. And I don't what's know. going on? Yeah. yeah. What is going on? I don't know. All right. I'm going to start first by just saying I I am not. I'm not sure about you 100%, but I am definitely not a financial advisor. I am also not a financial advisor, okay. although I can say save your money, open a bank account, use credit card points, always pay off your credit card smart and contribute to your 401k and your HSA if you have one. Only 6,000 per year though, which is a complete scam. What? That's the most you can contribute to your uh, to a, like an IRA. If you get a simple Roth IRA, you can only contribute up to 6,000 per year. Or what? Not or not not or what? That's the that's the limit that you can put into it. So like if you make $100,000 a year, you can only put 6,000 per year into your IRA. So your IRA can only grow so fast. So Wall Street basically controls how fast your IRA can grow because they limit how much you can put into it. I don't think it's that way with a 401. Well, no, a 401k, you're limited because you're basically, you can only put so much of your paycheck into it and your company meets a certain percentage. Right. But there's not a limit on what you can contribute. Oh, sure. You can put your whole paycheck into it. Right. But 401ks don't grow the way something like a, like a Roth IRA does. They grow slower. Yeah, see, I'm not a financial analyst. All I know <laughs> is I put lots of money in that and it seems to be doing good. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of them do. So like you have to do the whole like how aggressive do I want to be? What do I want to do? All that stuff. Extremely you know? aggressive. Yeah, I mean, the younger you are, the better it is. And that amount of aggressiveness is kind of what brings us to this. And so um, basically what I wanted to start with was just saying, I, th- in my opinion, looking at this and talking to a bunch of different people, I feel like the kind of quote unquote Wall Street elites saw this oncoming storm that was COVID killing all the retail shops and they saw that the markets were climbing completely unchecked. And so what they did was knowingly gamified the stock market to make it quote unquote for the kids. And while it's currently taking a beating, it now has the highest amount of interest from people under 30 than ever before the stock market. That's crazy. And we're going to get into more of that soon. Yeah, I mean, I was never interested, but guess who has a Robinhood account? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100%. <laughs> this guy. Like, um, and I'll get into the statistics of that in a little bit. And um, just to touch on it as we dig in, Robinhood accounts, um, Google trend searches, um, Charles Schwab accounts, all these things are up hundreds of percentage points. Yeah. So basically from the beginning of when this whole Wall Street bets thing started happening, people started getting super, super interested in making money on the stock market, you know? Yeah, it's like this whole new wave of like penny traders and day traders and all this stuff because, and I don't know everything about this, but like you can buy a stock in the morning because typically in the morning it will drop a number of percent immediately as soon as the market opens. And then it'll shoot up. And then it'll kind of come back down and it'll do what it's going to do for the rest of the day. And then it's like a mystery of what's going to happen for the yeah. rest of the day. But typically stops drop, stops stocks drop in the morning and then raise a little bit around like early brunch time. Yep. And then kind of fall again in the mid-afternoon and then kind of just do stuff in the afternoon. And that's and, like not always true, but... But it's common. Yeah. And this that started in the ni- late 90s. So in the late 90s, and again, I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. <laughs> the late 90s saw this gigantic wave of day traders who saw the rise of stock markets with the dot-com bubble and they jumped in and they started buying. And they did this. They built the same thing up. And it's very similar to what we're seeing today. Yeah. And those guys all lost their shirts and they all went broke. And every single like house dad who thought he was business dad suddenly wanted to become investor dad. And then he had to become broke ass dad and had to explain to his wife why he was broke ass dad. Yeah. Why he you know? lost all his money to Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's very much true. I mean, I know it happened in my own family. Like my dad suddenly one day thought he was a day trader, him and my uncle. And they yeah. got together and they started like trying to game the stock market. They're buying, you know, Dr. Coop stocks and all these different things. Yeah. And, you know, they're not penny stocks, but they're cheap. 
And so they thought they could come in and buy a thousand one dollar stocks in the after, in the morning, and by three o'clock they would be ten thousand dollars. And it happened a couple times, and they were like, "Yeah, look how up we are. Everything's awesome." Yeah, because the technology was there to buy and sell quickly, and there was no, you know, they didn't have to pay the penalties and all that stuff. And so this was happening, but then all of a sudden, oh, so if I bought one thousand of this one dollar stock, why not buy ten thousand of this one dollar stock? And then all of a sudden they're broke, you know? Right. So, anyways. This is a very similar situation. I want to put it all in context and show how it happened back in the day and what's happening right now and how it's the same damn thing and how it's kind of predictable. And we're looking at, I mean, it's not 100% a setup, but it's kind of a setup. You know? Yeah. So if you are going to jump in and start doing this kind of stuff, be careful. 100%. We are not financial analysts. I do not know anything about this. So when I go on to my Robinhood app, I am using throwaway money that if I lose, it's fine. Yeah. I am fucking around on my phone. Right. That's what I'm doing. I'm and you not, have that money set aside to play with. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's basically, it's like, it's like my Vegas money. Yeah. Like when I go to play blackjack, I take a set amount of money. I play very reserved. Yeah. And you know, if I'm out, I'm out. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. And if well, I make money, I make money and it's fine. Yeah. That's what this is. It's time for me to like every so often I look at my phone and I'm like, how are my stocks doing? Right. You know what I mean? But I am not a pro. We don't know about this. So 100%. do not expect anything we're going to give you to be any <laughs> right. kind of financial advice. We have and no secrets Do not here. go out and start throwing money at GME or AMC or anything like that unless you're prepared to lose it and mm-hmm. unless you are you know, prepared to go learn or know about this shit, which we do not know. Yeah. And it, if anything, if you listen to, to this until the end, you're probably going to take your time a little bit when you look at these things. <laughs> yeah. So basically the questions are, was the GameStop situation a win for individual investors or was it a long con honeypot created by the people who always win the elite financiers of wall street? Is it legal? Is it moral? And honestly, is it just stocks and they're going up and up and up and who cares? Cause we're all going to win. Like what's the reality here? So we're going to look at basically how GameStop and these kind of things are a complete scam perpetrated by wall street to get young investors to dump all their money into a stock market that is inches from crashing. Shit. Yeah. All right. So let's back it up a little bit to January of this year on January 27th, 2021. Technology news website Mashable, which used to be a much bigger website. It's kind of calmed down a little bit. They reported that the Wall Street Bets subreddit had broken page view records due to the short squeeze. Uh, The short squeeze, which we'll explain in a little bit, was basically what they're calling this entire uh, Wall Street maneuver. Uh, They received 73 million page views in 24 hours on our Wall Street Bets. It was the fastest growing subreddit of all time and the community surged by surged by more than 1.5 million users overnight to a total of 6 million members on January 29th. And then by mid February, there were 7.5 million members. And, uh, I checked just as you were doing sound check before there's over nine and a half million. Now one of those is me, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. And one of them is me. I mean, I pay attention to yeah. it. I check it every morning because it's, they do the mega thread and it's interesting to read what people are doing. Yeah. I know. I think we've said before, like when this whole thing was going down, it was surprising that the, our, our wall street bets, you know, subreddit didn't get taken down. It yeah. was actually the opposite. That subreddit is so huge now and so active that the like developers at Reddit, reached yeah. out to the people who run that page and basically like, yeah, you guys need to switch mega yeah. threads. It was kind of like the Donald, you know, the Donald was such a popular subreddit and yeah. they couldn't do anything about it because it was basically fueling Reddit. All those people were coming and they were driving people for advertisements. And then right. as soon as, as soon as Trump lost the election, they killed it. They right. were just like, well, we don't need it anymore and got rid of it. Yeah. And it, it was replaced by wall street bets Yeah, because it was around that same time that all of a sudden Reddit needed advertisers and they didn't know what was going on and nothing was happening. And so all of a sudden this one big thing brought in, you know, 7 million new users overnight. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? But yeah, but the traffic was so high, it was crashing their servers. So like right. the, yeah. you know, developers had to reach out and be like, Hey, you need to be switching 
runs yeah. faster. You're and it's funny because it's usually Reddit that crashes other people's servers. Yeah. <laughs> they, they call it, what do they call it? Like the Reddit hug of death or something? I don't know. Yeah. So like what will happen is um, if you post a link on like our news or something and it blows up to the front page, they'll get so much traffic that if you don't have a big, if you don't have a website infrastructure healthy enough to, to prop it up, it'll kill it. Yeah. To handle like huge amounts of burst traffic. Yeah, because yeah. you'll get like you'll get three million hits in an in an hour, and if you don't have that set up right, you right, know, it'll, it, your it, site's it, gonna go down. I know it usually happens to like small nonprofits too. They're like, look yeah. at this nonprofit in Arizona that's helping people with broken feet, and uh, they're like, <laughs> oh my god, let's go there and donate money, and they just destroy the nonprofit in five minutes. And just, <laughs> it's a burning fire. And nobody knows what to do. You know? Yeah, right. So from January until March, that's now like this January to this March. The term invest in stocks there. I'm putting some quotes around that was one of the highest trending search terms for people under 30. So if you look at trends.google.com, you can see who's clicking on stuff, their demographics, all that stuff. And so for people under 30, invest in stocks was like the number one thing, which it never has been before. It's, it's usually like Beyonce, you know, um, <laughs> or like Taylor like Swift Beyonce. or something, you know, it's nobody cares. Yeah. Um, it was also the fastest climbing search term that Google had seen since the term quote unquote election results dominated in November. And just before that, one of the biggest search terms was define WAP. Define WAP. Like W A P. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised it wasn't Ben Shapiro WAP. <laughs> or does the COVID 19 vaccine make me grow an arm on my ass or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was up there. It just wasn't the top. Yeah. Um, so anyways, Bloomberg opinion columnist Matt Levine guessed that one possible explana- explanation for the whole controversy could be utter nihilism on the part of the Reddit crowd. Or maybe one of the Wall Street Bets moderators put it best to Wired Magazine and said, it's just a meme stock that really blew up. Or as the users of Wall Street Bets like to say themselves, we just like the stock. <laughs> we just like it. We just like it. We're just fans. So what the hell happened? Users from Wall Street Bets gobbled up stock from declining brick and mortar store GameStop, sending the price soaring and forcing institutional investors who bet hard against the company to back out, performing what is known as a short squeeze. The phenomenon where short sellers are forced to repurchase stock as prices rise, thereby pushing the price higher, isn't new. But the combination of characters and technology and novel trading platforms forced Wall Street and regulators to pay attention to these retail investors gathering on Wall Street bets. And I mean, up until now, they just straight up ignored all these people and considered them the, you know, unwashed mashes. You know, they were just considered them the unwashed masses. They were basically nobodies, you know, and if people like you or me go out, what do we do? We buy three shares of Apple, four shares of Tesla, and nobody gives a shit about anything we do. Right. You know, but when you gather people and you have purchasing power, you know, it kind of changes, changes the tune of things. Right. I think it's like we've said before, you know, any one of us doesn't have a billion dollars. Right. But when you have 9 million people yeah, and maybe they go buy one share or two shares or there's people who are buying $100,000 in shares yeah, a piece. Yeah. Right. That adds up. That's a thing. Yeah. So the now legendary Wall Street Bets page was started way back in 2012. According to a Wall Street Journal interview with one of the founders and it was never really super popular. It was always a niche subreddit where folks either celebrated their wins or mourned their losses so much so, some users argued that the number to the suicide hotline needed to be pinned to the top. Damn. Well, yeah. So there's a lot of times where people will post stuff. And if you go back and look at posts going back five years, 10 years, I went back and looked at some of the early stuff. And there were people coming in and saying, I lost $50,000. I guess I'm moving back in with my parents. I don't know what to do with my life. And everybody's like, that's stocks, baby. that stocks baby and that's just the reaction they have you know yeah so as the pandemic forced people to stay home and trading apps that let users enter the market without the need of brokers or money managers rose in popularity the forum garnered hordes of new followers during the march 2020 stock market dip and subsequent rally through the second half of 2020 users were posting about gamestop and their financial woes and position 
By December, sales at GameStop dropped by 30%, losing them close to $63 million. Dang. I mean, brick and mortar store in the, in the age of, I mean, when's the last time you went to a store and bought a video game? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly have no idea. The last two video games I bought, I bought from Amazon. Yeah. And I mean, the last couple of video games I bought, I got off Steam and I, I haven't thought of. Yeah. Before that, it was definitely Steam. And with the rise of like the free to play battle royales. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I, pl- I played a lot of those. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the last time I remember going into a GameStop was Fallout 4 had just come out and I had like a old Xbox 360 that somebody just handed me and I wanted to find a copy of Forza. And so I couldn't find one online anywhere, obviously, because it didn't connect to the internet that way. Right. So I had to go and find a used one somewhere. And I think I paid $20 for a 15-year-old copy of Forza or something. Yeah. Maybe when I bought my PS4 or something. Like at the store while you were getting it? Yeah. Because they're right there. You know, why not? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But anyways, that's the point is who's going and buying these things. And it's... Right. GameStop is, is not kind of the place you go to when you think I want to buy a PS4. You know, you go to Best Buy or whoever has the best deal. I actually was the opposite. I always went to GameStop. Oh, really? Yeah, like that was my spot. I got my PS3 there. Oh. I traded my PS3 in five times because it bricked five times. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I kept getting new ones. Wow. Because I always put the payment the, yeah, the there you go. plan on it. Uh, but then I got my PS4 and like I don't know. I had that weird hard drive, uh, not the hard drive, the Blu-ray drive eject issue that the early PS4s had. Yeah, that was, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of never went back. I maybe bought a couple of games because after I got my PS4, I maybe bought like two or three games. I had like 50 games for my PS3. Right. Uh, Yeah, I definitely did the same thing where I had a million for PS3 and then actually I never even bought a PS4. I just stopped altogether. Yeah. 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 And now I'm buying games that are like six years old because they're like $9 on Amazon. Yeah. So. I, I got an email this morning telling me that uh, Bioshock Infinite is still sitting in my Steam account. And if I want to pick it up, it's only 250 So they're still kind of trying to push that on me. That sounds like a great deal. Yeah, I'm sure. And like I think I, Mad Max is still in there for a couple bucks. Yeah. Probably. I think those are the two that I'm, I've, I've got holding on. Yeah, I know I had Horizon... Zero Dawn and oh. Final Fantasy 15 in my oh. Amazon wish list, and they've been in there since before they came out. Like I are put they, the pre-orders in there. Are they kicking you discounts? I bought those. Those are the last two games I bought. Oh, okay, gotcha. Like a month ago or two months ago, I bought both of those games, and I think I checked out for eighteen dollars. Oh wow, for both games, and nice. it was the Horizon Zero Dawn like Game of the Year edition. Oh yeah, or whatever, and it was. The Final Fantasy 15 Kingdom Elite Edition. I can't even remember the name of it right now. But they re-released Final Fantasy 15 because it had all these problems. They re-released it like a year ago under yeah. this new version. It had all the DLC included. It had a bunch of game fixes, all this stuff. Um, but I got it for $9. Nice. And then I got Horizon Zero Dawn for $9. And they're sitting on my <laughs> on my table up here. I haven't even barely played either yeah, of them because I don't problem. have time. That's that's what depresses <laughs> me. Is like I, I, that's one of the reasons I don't buy games anymore because I just don't have enough time to play them. I know. So I buy them and they just sit forever. I know. Yeah. I'll eventually play them. I'm probably more than halfway through Final Fantasy 15, but I haven't played Zero Dawn at all. A- yeah. Anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll jump back into this. Yeah. Um. So even though the GameStop's online business it kind of is still booming. It wasn't enough to save the day back then, and they posted a 20% drop in stocks. So in January, they announced an executive shakeup, and armchair analysts over at Wall Street Bets predicted a huge boom. And in two days, the stock jumped 50%. So wasn't pretty, it $2 at the time, though, or something? I mean, listen, you know, the details. It jumped I think it was a dollar. Like, I think it was like six, maybe. Okay, so six or seven dollars. Yeah. So many linked the initial push in Wall Street Bets towards GameStop to an individual investor identified by the Wall Street Journal as Keith Gill, a.k.a. Deep Fucking Value. He's like, he's (laughs) their god over there. Yeah. And this dude, um, Gill's been publicly touting GameStop stock long before it caught the eyes of anyone, anyone, anywhere. Back in July 27th, 2020, he posted a YouTube video saying, quote, 
Some people won't even tune into the stream right now when they hear that I'm bullish on GameStop at the current price point. It's traded at about four bucks right now. So yeah, four bucks. I wish I'd bought it at four bucks. Yeah, I mean, even if you rode the wave and you still you still diamond handed to today, you'd still be up uh, about two hundred and sixty three dollars as of closed last I checked. So, yeah, I think it topped out at three eighty. It dropped yeah. back down to forty. I almost bought like two or three shares and yeah. I didn't. And then in a week later, it jumped back up. It's like two sixty now. Yeah, yeah, it'll go back down. It'll go back down. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Gil posted screenshots of his GameStop portfolio on Wall Street bets as far back as mid-2019. Gil and other members of the forum also cited the bullish GameStop stance of Michael Burry, who uh, you may know better as uh, the dude portrayed by Christian Bale in The Big Short uh, in that movie that came out in 2015. I don't think I saw it. Well, there was a guy named Michael Burry who was portrayed by Christian Bale, and he was apparently the stock genius dude. I didn't see it either. I'm just reading the notes here. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I didn't see the movie. I know the gist of the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. I was expecting you to be like an American psycho. <laughs> oh, could you bet? Like, that's the guy they're quoting? That's he's, the guy. Yeah. He's like talking about cards. They're all trying to buy GameStop. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So um, Chimak Moyemi, a professor at Columbia University, and I may have just butchered that name. I'm sorry if I did. Uh, Columbia University's business school told ABC News that Burry and Cohen fueled a quote-unquote small but growing group that believed the market was discounting GameStop too much and that there was some underlying value there and that the business could be turned around. You can see right here where big market names like Burry and and, uh, and, and Cohen and this guy uh, Moyemi, these are all like kind of famous people in the stock market industry and they're starting to come out in support with their endorsements and they're driving speculation of the stock being undervalued. So this primes the prompt for the next stage of everybody going all in. So the celebrities come out, you know, and around not right at this moment, but you know, other people like Elon Musk jumped in and all these people started talking about GameStop and you know, that's the next phase. But as Reddit and retail traders started to take notice of GameStop, they also took notice of how heavily shorted the stock was information that's generally pretty easy to get these days. And what they figured out was a way that if they all acted together, they could sort of screw over the shorts and make a profit doing so. So what is shorting? I don't know. All right. I'll explain it to you. Okay. So uh, when a hedge fund or investor shorts a stock, they basically speculate that its price will go down. They do that by borrowing, usually from a broker dealer, shares of a stock that they think will lose value by a set date and then selling them at the market price. Are you following? No. Okay. I'll break it down better. <laughs> For example, you borrow stocks from this broker. Say you get a thousand shares of a company. Let's say Brulluminati Incorporated. You get a thousand shares at one dollar each. You're not actually spending any money here. You're just borrowing them because you have this relationship with the broker and they let you do it. So, like, you're a rich white guy and your buddy who's a rich white guy says, Okay, you can borrow these stocks. Why wouldn't you want to just borrow stocks? So, what happens is, and this is very important, you turn around and you sell those shares to somebody else immediately and you make your thousand dollars. So you borrowed them, you borrowed a thousand dollars worth, you turn around, you sold them to some other random person for a thousand bucks. Now you owe your broker a thousand bucks. But instead of paying him with the thousand dollars you just made, you're going to wait until the price drops, say 50 cents a share. Now you go out and you get those thousand shares at 50 cents from the market and you give back those thousand shares to your dealer and you just made $500. But add about five zeros to that because that's what all these rich white guys are doing with those stocks. They're getting like hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions at a time. And that's how that basically works. You following that part? Yes. Okay. So the problem that happens and what backfires is when the price of the stock goes up. So if you borrow the stock, if you borrow your thousand shares of Brulluminati Incorporated, a thousand dollars each, but instead of being worth a dollar each, all of a sudden the market turns around and they become $2 each. Suddenly you're in big trouble because now you have to find another thousand shares and you're not paying a dollar for each of those. You're paying $2 for that. So you just lost a whole thousand extra dollars. So you're extra fucked 
if it goes sour. So this is basically a game that like super rich people play and they know they can win or lose. And so if they really work on how the market is set up, they can like try to manipulate this stuff so that they make more money and more money. So in this article I read today, it said that previously back into 2020, short sellers controlled more than 97% of GameStop stocks. So everybody was betting for this stock to just keep plummeting and plummeting because brick and mortar stores are dead and nobody's buying online stocks. Today, short sellers own only 20% of those stocks. So because of what basically Wall Street bets did, they purchased up 77% of that stock and held on to it. So Wall Street bet users, they saw the massive shorting and they took action on this, snatching up 77% of these shares and created this supply and demand push and sent the price of the stock just soaring to the moon. The traders who shorted the stock tried to manipulate their way out of this problem, but they were stuck because Wall Street bets were holding out of their stock and not selling and demand was skyrocketing and making it even more expensive. So for these dudes who were buying at a dollar, selling at $2, you know, selling at 50 cents. It was more like buying at a dollar, losing it, and then having to come back in and buy for $400. Yeah, they got <laughs> ultra fucked yeah. by this situation. Yeah, and typically people will fold and collect their profits, but the peer pressure and desire to screw over these hedge funds drove Reddit users to hold tight and not let go. And essentially, they won the day out early on. The hedge funds backed off, bought back shares for 100% more than they paid for them, and they moved on with their lives. You know, these aren't guys that are going to sit around and like mess around with a bunch of like Reddit users. They're going to drop the stock, lose their $5 million, and then turn around and make it up somewhere else. They don't care. Right. Because you're not going to get 6 million users of Wall Street bets to follow you from stock to stock to stock as you make money. They're just... they're so invested in this one thing that you're pretty much guaranteed if you just cut your losses and move on, you can make it up again later. Yeah, I was actually just sitting here thinking, I wonder if this was like a conspiracy by you know, some of these Wall Street bets people to use this as a way to try and stop this whole short sale thing from happening. You know what I mean? To try yeah. and like be like, we see what you're doing over here, rich people. And yeah. to like clip that one off, but I don't think it happening on this one stock will ever stop that behavior. You know what I mean? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the problem is they come in, buy the stocks, and then they realize like if they're getting screwed out of this, they just jump ship. And there's no real like repercussions or or less consequences, except they 100%. Were like, yeah. Oh, I guess I lost a hundred million dollars on that one. Oh well, I'll make it up over here. No big deal. Right. If you're a billionaire, who gives a shit if you lost a million dollars? Right. You know? Yeah. And and that's the truth is you just move on and make it up. But what did happen, and I'm going to get to this in a minute. What what did happen was how many people were dumping money into Wall Street, just all the money they had, and whether the stock goes up goes down, they're holding tight. They don't care. And again it doesn't matter if this happens with one stock, you know, but it's creating a systemic kind of system where this is entertainment and this is what they're doing. And they're so interested now where if you profited, you're like, Hey, wow, look at that. I did this and made money and it was fun. If you lost it's well, that happened because it was a crazy thing. You know, the wall street bets thing was nuts. That's never going to happen again. Let me go over and buy AMC. You know, so the hedge funds backed off. They ended up buying back these shares for 100% more than they paid for them, and they just moved on. Them buying the stocks at higher prices drove prices from the $50 range to the almost $400 range. And I think, like we said, at the highest, it was like 390 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and theoretically, everybody gets rich at this point in Wall Street bets because they held on long enough and it's worth 400 But during this feeding frenzy, Robinhood, the trading app, which uh, you have on your phone there, and Ameritrade, a pretty large investment house, froze trading on GameStop. They put the likes of both AOC and Ted Cruz in the corner of the retail investor and gave everyone a huge target by saying, no, you guys can't trade this stock. So when, when Robinhood and Ameritrade froze this stuff, 
what it essentially did was gave everyone an enemy in this fight. They had the hedge funds who they were already pissed off about, but those just seemed like this giant blob of a system that you can barely fight that they were really trying to fight. But when Robin Hood and Ameritrade say, F you know, you can't trade that it's getting too crazy. Yeah, that gives you a guy you can like point a gun at. You know, right. That gives you a real serious enemy. Yeah. So now the attitude was let's screw it to these big investors and take down the house, the house being Wall Street. But what they should have known is the house always wins and they make the rules anyways. But it created this kind of punk rock aesthetic in trading. You know, so people you're in my age and younger were suddenly like, no, we're we're holding on to this stock because we're going to screw over those rich guys. We're doing this because we're right and they're wrong. We're the underdog. You know, the Reddit users kept holding tight and the market turned south and the stock collapsed again, but they kept holding on. And that's kind of where we're at today. A second rise has the stock close closing close to 300 the day I wrote this. And I think we're around 200 right now, a couple days later. Yeah, I just checked it. It's 211. 211, yeah. So a little bit of a drop. Well, I mean, a $100 drop. It's a lot of drop. But uh, so as of, uh, we're going to say it's March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Um, on March 17th, we're at 211 after close a couple hours. And honestly, who knows where it can go from here? It could hit $10 or it could hit $1,000. You know, Wall Street bets people are hoping it goes to 100000 or higher, which is never going to happen. But what it hits is really not even the point of what was really gained during all this. The question we're asking here, and this is a question we ask all the time on this podcast is, was this done on purpose or was this an accident while someone was seeking out a profit? And to kind of learn the answer to that, what we need to do is look back to the 1990s. And so in the 1990s, today we call all the people in Wall Street bets retail investors. But in the 90s, they were just called day traders. And this was all the uh, kind of business dads wanting to quit their jobs and start becoming day traders and throw in on $1 stocks and hope to make a buck a day on a thousand shares of something. And I remember going into whatever the 90s bookstore was, uh, bookstop or whatever it was back in the day. Probably Barnes and Noble. Yeah, probably Barnes and Noble. Yeah. And seeing entire rows of books on how to day trade. You know, just here's how to make $300 a day on this. Here's how to make $1,000 a day. So in the, in the late 90s, the promise of Lamborghinis came via day trading instead of the retail investors on Reddit. Basically, the market was on a meteoric rise, and so people were buying in the minute the market opened up and selling it at the end of the day, making a little chunk of money depending on how much they were doing. Some stocks did really well during the time of the dot-com bubble, and they would open at $0.10 and close at $10. So you can make a killing if you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah. That was the hope, you know? That was the hope of... I mean, it's the hope of everybody all the time. Right. But because it was all super volatile... And it was just as likely to go the other way. And a lot of people lost all their family savings in a single day. That's just what happened. A lot of people lost their money. One of the reasons this was possible was because the rise of the internet removed the middleman with stock market trading. And a lot of those charges were completely eliminated, making anyone with a modem a stock expert. Even though, you know, the modems we were using were the like, those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could still get online and watch your little stock ticker on Yahoo and, you know, do a trade. Right. And the media of the day reflected that. A million news shows started up focusing on the stock market. Newspapers refocused to highlight the market and Yahoo introduced their instant stock ticker. Everyone had up-to-date information and opinions on everything. The media also made it sexy. They were doing profiles on day traders and a billion books came out about how to get rich on day trading. Bookstores had, like I said, entire rows of day trading advice books and thousands of day trading firms launched in every single state where you could go almost like a shared workspace and get yourself a desk and trade at that desk if you didn't have a modem at home or if you just wanted to get away from your wife and kids and spend your life savings. You could go there and then they would also have a advisor on staff that you could go up and ask questions to for a certain amount of money. So it was, you know, kind of a weird situation, but it was 
blowing up all over the place. And the question is, did people really make any money? And like everything else, a few people made a shit ton of money. A couple did okay. And a whole lot of people lost a bunch, like entire life savings bunch. But the popularity didn't wane. People saw it no different than a casino and they just played it like one until the market collapsed and every single one of those day traders went back to their regular offices. And the same is happening right here now today in 2021. On Wall Street bets, people are posting losses in the hundreds of thousands every time GameStop stock dips. They bought in low, watched GameStop climb to 400, held tight, and are now looking at a $200 stock and wondering where their $100,000 went. And they're not just jumping all in on GameStop. They're looking at silver, AMC, a, hand, a fistful of other stocks, and others are benefiting from that aimed gun that is these Reddit users. Their friends, their loved ones who are hearing that they're making money on stocks, it's not that far off from folks hoarding Beanie Babies and Tickle Me Elmos back in the day. I mean, right now, I can name off the top of my head a half dozen of my close friends that have come to me and said, you got to buy GameStop or you got to jump in the stock market right now. And these aren't people who work in finance at all. These are just people who are, you know, thinking about their retirement and it seems like a good idea. And these people are talking about putting aside $5,000 to throw into the stock market when we've been in a global pandemic and a lot of them have lost their jobs. And so the market's drying up and people are starting to jump all in. And there's this idea that it's sexy, fun, and cool to throw all your money into the stock market right now because a bunch of guys on Reddit made a bunch of money and you're seeing their, you're seeing their tickers of how much they made. Right. But what's not being publicized and is happening. And I've seen it from looking through the wall street bets, uh, subreddit as well is the people who are posting the, I lost $150,000. Yeah. You know, posts. And the kid that killed himself, the 20-year-old kid who was on Robin Hood and had, uh, I forgot all the details, but basically he had something come out that said he lost something like 70000 or se- yeah, $700,000. And somehow Robin Hood had forwarded him the credit to be able to buy or short something and he did something wrong and all of a sudden he pulled this up and he was $700,000 in debt and then he shot himself, you know? So, yeah, I mean, those are the kind of things that happen when people think it's a meme to go and trade on the stock market. Right. Yeah. And the only people who are benefiting at the end of the day are the people that own Robinhood, the people that run these gigantic financial houses, because they're basically taking all of the money that we could put into savings, put into like responsible places like IRAs or, or other things, they're taking that money and just drinking it up, you know, and there's really nothing you can do about it. Once you spend that, you know, you can throw $5,000 down a hole in 30 seconds on the stock market. Right. Yeah, for sure. So back in June of 2020, the stock market was staging a rally and on a serious uphill climb. But while millennials were shoving their stimulus checks and savings into the market, the true force behind it all hedge funds were jumping ship and turning sour on the entire market, expecting it to turn south. But it never did. The rally fueled by day traders and the kids just kept going up, 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 and we're kind of still watching that happen today. From January of this year until March, again, you know, we talked about invest in stocks was one of the highest trending search terms, and people were actually now doing that. They were dumping money into the stock market. Altogether, retail traders now make up 20% of the entire stock volume of the U.S., which is 3x from just a decade ago when guys on laptops in their living rooms were still bitter about how much they lost during the dot-com bubble burst. But it's an entirely new era. People stuck at home opened up 8 million new brokerage accounts in the first half of 2020. They've forgotten the burn of the 2000 stock market correction that shook day traders off like dogs shaking off fleas and plummeting us into a recession. People are opening individual brokerage accounts at the highest rate in all of history. Now they've got deep fucking value over there posting his multi-million dollar wins on Reddit for all to see and they want a piece of that action and they want it really badly. The idea of dumping all your money back into the market has been wrapped up in a shiny new fuck the system punk rock package thanks to AOC and the SEC going after Robinhood who shut down the day trading while everyone was winning. 
This lets them think they're going all underdog while funneling every single penny right back into the same system that's been calling the shots since the 20s. A few people are going to make some money, and over the next year, that will be highly publicized and memed about all over the place, and the average individual investor will be in way over their head and wind up way out of money, and that money is going to find its way right back into the big sharks on Wall Street that have enough clout and cash in the game to do whatever they want and to ride out any of these little blips in the market that's something like Wall Street Bets is causing right now. In the immortal words of Pete Townsend of The Who, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And that's kind of where we're at with all of Wall Street Bets and what's going on right now. Yeah. It's just just bonkers and it's hard for me to like, I don't know, I guess make sense of it. It's very complex and that's a huge problem. I mean, it's such a complex thing that you can't fully process what you're going to be doing in this game that only really, really rich people play and end up winning from just reading a subreddit, you know? Yeah. And it, it makes me worry a lot because I was around in the late nineties and watching families lose everything to this, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's tough cause I still have people, you know, on my Facebook being like AMC to the moon, buy and hold. And I'm over here looking at it on my ticker and I'm like, yo, y'all aren't making anything. Right. Exactly. Like the price of AMC is, I don't know, not gone up. No. Like I bought us, I bought, I think I bought one at five. I sold it at eight and then I was just yeah. like, fuck this. And now it's 12. Right. And they're like to the moon. I'm like, no dude. Right. But if when it was five, you bought, a million shares and then it sold at 12, you would be rich. But right. you but would I have to about one. Right. But you would have <laughs> to be rich to buy a million $5 shares. Right. So, or you'd have to be crazy to be somebody like me and be like, I'm going to buy $50,000 and $5 yeah. shares. Yeah. And I mean, I know I, I have good friends that went all in on, um, went all in on, you know, Bitcoin when it was climbing, climbing, climbing a few years ago. And they bought all in and they ended up selling it on the downfall, you know, and a lot of people. Yeah, so that was a mistake. They should have kept it. They should have. They'd be fine now, you know. I wish yeah. I'd bought, you know, one Bitcoin at $5,000 a year sure. ago. Yeah. You know, should I sell it right now at 61000 Yeah, but who knows? I mean, tomorrow Joe Biden could come out and say like, hey, you know what we're doing? Official U.S. Bitcoin. And then all the other markets are dead and all the other Bitcoins fall apart. You know, they're. Not that that is a realistic scenario at all, but there's announcements that could happen at any moment that could kill a stock. You know, right. look at look at when Elon Musk jumps onto Twitter and he's like, "I'm a crazy guy smoking weed," and then Tesla drops stocks, t- stock drops to zero, and then he buys a ton of his own sh- stock. You know, and right. so it's it's really a game that people game. You know, and it's not it's not a way normal day-to-day people are going to make a bunch of money. Right. It's a way normal day-to-day people are going to lose a ton of money. Probably. Yeah. Probably. And I'm skeptical about it and and I feel bad. I know a lot of people that are just jumping in and, you know, the stock is 211 today. I would bet money by the time this episode comes out, it's probably going to be back down to 40, you know? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe. I'll write... uh, I'll put in the description of this episode what the stock was when we recorded it and what it was the day it came out when I posted it. And we'll see what happens. Okay. Yeah, uh, that'd be cool. So, but yeah, that's all we got over here uh, today about stonks. All right. Big old stonk memes. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind the scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash Podcast. For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brew Illuminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. 
Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will, because again, mind control is real. Thank you.